Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. I love getting to gather together and worship. That nothing, nothing beats that we can play worship music during the week, we can be at home, whatever it is, but there's something when God's people gather together and worship that shifts things in the atmosphere and in our lives. I'm so happy to be bringing the word today. My name's Stephen. Um, my wife, Brittany, and I are the location pastors of C3 East Village, our downtown location. We're part of the team here. And, uh, and we just love getting to be a part of this church so much. And I'm going to give a couple quick uh, announcements because we're stepping in, as Brad and Shelby said, to such a, an exciting season. It's Easter, and it's awesome. And we're kicking it off tonight with an online um, cedar mill. Uh, and you can grab, there's a few of these bags left in the, the foyer afterwards, so you can go and grab one of them. And 5 o'clock on Zoom tonight, uh, Pastor Lon and Kelly and the team here are going to be leading us through a, a Passover Seder via Zoom. So you'll have some sort of cracker thingies in this bag, and then scan and um, the thing to, to get the information about what you need to prepare. Um, or if you don't want to prepare, you just want to tune in, you can do that as well. But this is an opportunity to walk, walk through the elements of the Passover together and really find deep, rich meaning in um, symbolically how it takes place. So you can find out more about that at myc3church.ca in the foyer. Uh, I hope you can join us. It's going to be, that's our first time doing this as a church. So it's going to be awesome. And the other thing is for our services next week, Easter weekend. So, so exciting. And I just, we're going to come together and celebrate the, um, the Resurrection Sunday, Jesus' victory on the cross. It's going to be great. There's three services, as you heard, 8.15, and Pastor Denzel Fenn's going to be preaching at that one. It's going to be an amazing service, 9.15 and 11.15, Pastor Lawn's bringing the word. But I know we want to be at all the services. I want to be at all the services, but I know just as much we want as many people to be able to come in on Easter Sunday and pack out this place to, to the full capacity that we can. So we're asking that you'd only sign up to one service. Can you say one service? One service, ah, you're half convincing on that one, but I've said it anyway, Um, and then that way we can allow room for other people to be a part, so jump online, sign up to that, and it's going to be great, and also today, it's Palm Sunday, happy Palm Sunday, everybody, we celebrate Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar, Palm Sunday um, is is the name given to uh, really celebrating the time a week before um, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, and it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, a hugely significant event of where Jesus arrives to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey there, and the people come out, they lay down their palm branches, that's where we get palm from, they lay down their cloaks, we don't really call it Cloak Sunday, but whatever, that's fine, um, and we, it's really a fulfillment of prophecy of the arrival of the King to Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is amazing, and today I'm not specifically talking on Palm Sunday, but I am going to be sharing from his journey and his story in this series, Steps, just prior to Palm Sunday, where Scripture records this amazing event about his journey and and something he does, which impacts our journey as we look at Jesus this month. 
I'm pumped. I hope you're ready. Hope you got your Bibles. I believe today God wants to unlock and remind really two core concepts of Scripture and of the life of Jesus to us today. One of these I'm really going to dive into in the Scripture and pack out uh, sort of what's going on, and that's um, the compassion of Jesus for us and what it means to serve a compassionate God who feels our pains and carries our burdens for us. And we're going to look at the Scripture. And the second thing I believe he's doing today, I believe more than anything, he's placed in people's hearts this week, driving here today and during worship, and it's going to be a confirmation more than anything of the fact that our God is a God who can bring dead things back to life. Our God is a God of resurrection power. So let me pray before I start. Lord, I thank you. Your word is powerful, Lord. I thank you, God, that um, it's your spirit that's moving in this place. And I thank you, God, in this next 30 minutes, uh, more than articulate words, more than um, the right points, God, we open ourselves up to your spirit and your word to have authority over our life. In the name of Jesus, amen. I've never found memorizing scripture easy. Is anyone with me? Like, yeah. Some people find it so easy. I, I never have. Uh, I know when I was at Bible college, I went through a season where I really felt it was important, and I still do, of memorizing Scripture because, you know, there's settings that you don't have your Bible with you. You can't turn to it. You can't necessarily Google, but I wanted to have the Word of God dwelling in me, but I, I found it really hard. I, I still do, um, but it's gotten easier over time. So one of the things I used to do while I was at Bible college was I'd write Scripture on the mirror in the bathroom, and as I was getting ready, brushing my teeth, I'd, has anyone done that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, good, I'm not the only one. Um, you know, I used to maybe spend too much time in front of the mirror, so maybe that's why the scripture is there now. Anytime I see a mirror, I turn away, I avoid it as you get a little older, but anyway, this was my um, tactic. The thing was, I lived with seven guys while I was at Bible college. Seven guys. Now, think, living with one guy is bad enough, right? Like, some of you wives nodded your head too quickly just then, but, but seven guys, and these guys were a little bit cheeky. And so I'd go in in the morning sometimes, and I'd find that the scriptures had been changed that I was trying to memorize. And so sometimes this was in a subtle way, and I'd read the word and start memorizing it, spend this time doing that, and it ended up being and completely wrong, because they did it in a way. Other times, it was a little more obvious. Um, I remember once I'd written the Ten Commandments up on on the mirror, I was memorizing it, um, getting, getting ready for the lecture that day in my class. But the, the boys, the lads, my friends, the seven guys, one of those seven guys had come in and removed the word not from all the Ten Commandments. So I'm brushing my teeth, I'm reading through it, and all of a sudden I come across, um, not you shall not commit murder, you shall commit murder. I was like, that's a little strange. Keep going a bit further. You shall... Not still. It said, you shall steal. I'm like, something's not right here today. I won't even tell you what happened with the adultery one when I got there. I spat my toothpaste out everywhere. And all of a sudden, it said, you shall commit adultery. I was like, oh, this isn't working right. The guys had changed the scripture. What am I talking about? I don't even know what I'm talking about. But I'm sharing that to say memorizing scripture can be hard. And it can be difficult. Today, I'm giving a guarantee that by the end of this 20 minutes, this message coming up, I'm gonna give you a scripture you can memorize. All of us are gonna to leave today memorizing the word of God. Do you believe me? Some of you guys are still skeptical. 
That's all right. Today, the message title is Jesus Wept. Jesus Wept. Now, this is actually from the scripture we'll find in the context here. John 11, verse 35. It's the shortest scripture in our English translations of the Word of God. Jesus Wept. It's the title of my message today. I think it's what God wants to reveal to us today. And honestly, these two words you could preach 52 weeks of the year out of. What a concept that Jesus Christ, God who becomes a man, walking amongst us, that Jesus wept. Let's kick it off in John 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, which is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So we have a sick Lazarus here. It says, So the sisters sent to him, speaking of Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So Lazarus is one of Jesus' friends. He's sick, um, and, and they've sent news to Jesus. He's got the memo. But it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now there's a bit of, I'm going to go to Scripture and then paraphrase the in-between stories. There's a bit of back and forth here between Jesus and his disciples. Um, And Jesus says, uh, you know, he's not going to go immediately, um, but but he is going to go back. The disciples say, you shouldn't go back. They tried to stone you there. Why would you go back? But um, And there's a bit of back and forth. Pick it up in verse 11. Um, After the conversation there, he says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death. So he's, he's actually saying, fallen asleep, Lazarus is dead. Um, but they, they didn't pick up on that. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Let's pause there for a minute. So this is an amazing thing here because we have the benefit of hindsight with Scripture, right? We know lots of us would know what takes place if you've heard this story. But try and place yourself in the shoes of the disciple. They're trying to figure this all out. They're trying to um, serve Jesus, but they're trying to kind of stop him from putting himself in danger. But also, Jesus has said to them at the start, this sickness doesn't lead to death. But then 10 verses later, he's saying, Lazarus has died. Can you see the, the tension there? Jesus, I thought, I thought this sickness didn't lead to death, but now you're telling us Lazarus has died. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience where God said something to you and it seemed to be very clearly and you've stepped out on that and you've acted on that, but then the, what goes on and what takes place in your life or in that circumstance, and I feel like there's people here today, maybe you're in that circumstance, feels very different to the word of God that he spoke over you. Has anyone ever felt that? And you find yourself in that tension of God, you said this, but now you're saying this, now you're showing this. We're gonna continue with the story, but I want us to remember if we're in that moment and it can feel disappointing and frustrated and confusing, the story's not finished yet. There's something coming. There's something that's going to take place greater than our minds can comprehend, greater than our thoughts about the circumstance. Yeah, maybe God seemed to say this and then say this, 
And because we're in the middle of playing that out, the fulfillment of the miracle and breakthrough and light that he wants to bring to your situation is still on its way. Don't give up. So in verse 17, we'll skip ahead a little. It says, now when Jesus had came, so they've traveled to the area now, he found that Lazarus, old Laz, had already been in the tomb four days. Tomb, he's he's dead. (laughs) He's not just dead, he's dead, dead. Four days. It says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And this is when they're on their way to Jerusalem. Um, Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I know... I've experienced times in my life and things in my life, and there's people today who you've experienced awful things and tragedies have taken place, and the season that we're in, um, we keep calling the COVID season. It's flipping long for a season, isn't it? It's taken a long time. The season of COVID stuff's happened, and the question and the statement and the thought that we may have, and I know I have had, maybe you've had, is, Lord, if you'd been here, or if you'd been there, or Lord, where are you? Because if you were present, if you were here, things would look very different to what they look like. Am I alone on that one? I think maybe other people here have felt that or thought that or experiencing that. That's what's taking place here. For Martha, for Mary, Lord, we sent the message, Lord, Where were you? Why weren't you present when this took place? Our brother has died because you weren't here. Goes on, verse 31. When the Jews who were there with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, Mary had come to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So he's already got that statement from Martha. Now he's getting it from Mary. These are sisters. Sisters stick together, right? They're thinking the same thought. Sisters, sisters. There were such devoted sisters. Anyway, some of that went over your guys' head, but um, concentrate. These sisters are sticking together. They're having the same thought. Lord, if you were here. My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and this is where we get into what I really want to speak to today. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, um, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Okay, this is the last passage of Scripture, then we're going to unpack it. I know it's a lot here. Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Dead, dead. Can you say dead, dead? Dead, dead. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you, you sent me. 
And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What an amazing part of Jesus' journey. I wanted to break that down because really, um, I want the word of God to speak more than I ever speak. And I want him to reveal what he's revealing to you. But I do have some thoughts and things I think God wants us to highlight. But what an amazing thing that's taking place. Now, this is obviously a miracle. It's something that's confirming the, um, the, uh, that Jesus is who he said he is. And we're a church, and I'm a person who believes that miracles still happen today. They still happen. This is a miracle for a particular time with a particular purpose, but I think there's a lot we can learn from it. Two aspects of Jesus' journey that we can look at, and that was your homework assignment, that was your test, the, the verse you're going to memorize, Jesus wept. Can I hear you say it? Everybody passes. Well done. We can all go home. No, we can't. Not yet. Now, many people wept in Scripture. So you might be thinking, why is this such a significant thing? We, we see Abraham wept, Moses wept, King David wept. He wept a lot. He's a singer-songwriter. They're emotional. That's how we got all the Psalms. Created the music genre emo before it was even a, a thing. But King David wept a lot. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. It's great to have Jeremiah here on the front row as well with us today. Legend from the East Village team. So why is it significant, or so significant to me and I believe to us today, that Jesus wept? What about this moment should impact our story? Firstly, I believe it shows us that God, the Father God, so Christ only does what the Father gets him to do. We know that in Scripture, and here we see Jesus weeping. I believe this shows us that in our pain, in your brokenness, in our tragedies, in stuff that we're going through that is causing us great distress, Jesus feels the pain. God feels the pain. He's not absent from the pain. He's not far removed from the pain. He's actually very, very aware and present of the pain. It says Jesus weeps in response to those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are in pain around him. I used to think it, he uh, wept because his friend had died. Um, maybe there's an element of that, but we also know that Jesus already knows what's gonna happen. He knows that Lazarus is gonna come back to life. So I think it's not so much that as that he is relating and feeling the pain of the people around who are responding to it. Our God is a God who feels our pain. And Jesus reveals something amazing about the Father's heart towards us, is that he feels and has empathy and compassion in our brokenness. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I got good news today. If you're brokenhearted, if you're going through something, if you're experiencing something that where God maybe feels absent or removed from or you can't see him in it, you can rest assured knowing that the word of God says that he is not far away. 
God is not absent. He hasn't removed himself because you're going through some troubles. Actually, he's more closer than ever. The word says he is near and saves the crushed in spirit. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with that comfort we receive from God. You know, you, I don't know if you've ever tried to bring somebody comfort from afar. It's a, a pretty difficult thing to do. We can encourage, we can send text messages. Um, I know I have family who are living in a different country. I haven't been able to see for a long time. And, and it's great with technology and all those things we have these days, but it's not quite the same as being present and being able to be with somebody when they're going through something. And we've experienced that too. It's nice to have encouragement from afar, but it's nothing like someone actually coming and sitting with you, weeping with you, standing with you, praying with you, and just being there. The great news is it says that God is the father of compassion and will bring comfort. And comfort doesn't come from afar. It comes from being very present. So today in our pain, in those moments maybe that even made it hard for you to get to church today because you just feel so distressed and anxious about that, God isn't ignoring it. He's very close. He's very near. The second big thing to realize from Jesus wept, can you say Jesus wept? You know, anyone who was in the prayer huddle this morning before service, Era wanted me to give the word for our um, chant there. And I didn't think like Jesus wept was a super encouraging one to do. So that's why I struggled a bit in that. But it actually is one of the most encouraging things to know that Jesus wept. So the second thing is to realize that because Christ feels ours and others' pain, we as disciples of his, as followers of his, need to be able to feel the pain of others as well. I'm so amazed, past the confession time, I'm, I'm so amazed how easy it is in this day and age to have a hard heart towards people. I don't know if anyone else has felt that. It, it's amazing how quickly it is to uh, harden my heart towards what someone else is going through because maybe I don't agree with um, the conclusion they've made about it. Maybe I don't agree with the political persuasion around it. Maybe I don't agree uh, that, you know, that that's the reality of the situation taking place. And it's very easy to have a hard heart towards others' pains when Christ shows us that even though he knew the outcome, he knew the truth of the situation, that Laz was going to be raised from dead, he still took a moment to weep with others. He still took a moment to feel the pain the other people were feeling, even though he knew the outcome was different to the outcome they were expecting. This is convicting for me because I find it incredibly easy to, to talk away other people's pain, to theologize at times people's pain, or to simply say, pick yourself up, strengthen up, come on, get over it, things are gonna be okay. There is a time, there is a place for that, I just believe it comes after a time where we would weep and feel the pain of the world around us. Um, an example, maybe let's remove it from this current time frame we're in because I know it's a loaded one. <laughs> um, everybody reads into different things that we're all saying and it's a, it's a 
just one of those times we're in. But I remember, so I'm a small town, country boy, small town, Tasmania, Australia, other side of the world. Um, you know, my friends, I, I had friends, uh, and then I had the town, and we all knew each other. Everybody knew everybody's business. I was friends with cows growing up. They were good friends too. Small town, country boy. The first time I ever went to a city, um, and I experienced seeing somebody on the street um, who was uh, obviously going through a really hard time, uh, like a street person, uh, someone who had lost their home, I was shook up because I'd never experienced that before. I, like coming from the small town, we didn't, that didn't take place. Went to the city and all of a sudden I felt the pain. I could emphasize, I could go, we need to do something. This isn't right. And then fast forward a little bit further along after you've been living in a city for a while and you've been seeing it, that experience of seeing somebody no longer causes pain. It's just another Monday. It's just another weekday. We get desensitized to people's pain incredibly, incredibly quick. I'm not speaking specifically around that area of life. There's all kinds of circumstances. I'm trying to emphasize how quickly we can go between feeling and not even flinching when someone's experiencing pain around us. That's something we all go through. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, if Jesus is a Christ who weeps for the pain around us, as followers of his, what do we need to do in response to the pain around us? What is the Christ-like thing to do during a time when others are hurting, confused, grieving, and hopeless? We need to learn from his journey to impact our journey to live out more and more each day what it is to bring Christ to this world. Um, I think sometimes, I know I can, and I think maybe I can speak broader than that. I, I see it a lot. Followers of Christ today, we can often mistake strength um, and not being a person of compromise, of standing strong for the faith, we can mistake that for strength when really it's we have a hard heart. I know I'm speaking to myself here. We think that we're living out and standing strong because of our convictions around something and all the while we're dismissing the hurt and the pain around us and we're tricking ourselves into thinking we're living out how Jesus would when really maybe we got to get in and spend some time with God and find out what he's feeling about the circumstances around us. Man, I'm getting convicted myself here today. So let's, uh, it's an awesome thing, God's conviction. And I felt that during the week because it's not condemnation. It's an actually, a, a, it's not a calling out, it's a calling up. God doesn't call us out, he calls us up to a higher standard, a greater standard that we can access in Christ. Matthew 24, Jesus says, towards the end days, the love of most will grow cold. My prayer is that we would not be a people who in this time, our love would grow cold. Strength according to the example that Jesus lays out, because Jesus is a strong guy. He's not afraid of a tough life. You know, just a week from this scene, he's gonna be accused falsely. He's gonna be beaten. He's gonna be tortured. He's gonna be um, stood before people and have all kinds of insults and things laid out to him, but he's not silently before them like sheep being led to a slave. We think Arnold Schwarzenegger's strong or Vin Diesel or some of these guys in the movie. Jesus is a lot stronger than those guys, yet he would weep. I think we get a, 
bit of a false idea of what it is to be strong. And we need to look to Jesus. Strength, according to Jesus' example, isn't a hard heart, but the ability to feel and have empathy with others. In verse 33, it says that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come weeping, he was deeply moved. He was moved by those around him. Um, I, I, don't, I know we're people who don't want to have a hard heart. And there's this great um, passage of scripture in the Old Testament that just I was reminded of while I was prepping this flesh about God exchanging a hard heart for a soft heart, a heart of stone for a, a heart of flesh. Um, Ezekiel 36, and he's speaking to the Israelite people who have gone away and gone far from God, um, and they're not living out the way they are as God's people, but this amazing prophetic declaration takes place in Ezekiel 36, verse 24, for I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather, gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land, bring you back into connection with God, bring you back into the to the the pen of of God. It's an amazing thing. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your eyes. Remove from you, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Amazing, and just a few thoughts here from this scripture on what can cause a hard heart. Because I don't want to get up here today and say, we have a hard heart and we need to have a softer one. Well, whoop de doo that doesn't help anything. But in the scripture, it's actually worth pondering and wondering, why do I have a hard heart? Why is my heart hard? I know I should, in theory, be feeling pain, but why is it I can't feel the pain of others? Why is it I don't have compassion? Stone heart. In scripture, we see a few things. Um, the first thing is, because we're talking about removing that heart, uh, the stone heart, flesh heart, speaking of a soft heart, God says, I'm going to bring you back into connection. I'm going to bring you back home. Bring you out of the lands and the paths that you've walked on away from me. Um, the first thing that can cause us a, a hard heart is simply disconnection from God. A disconnection from our home, a disconnection of where we're meant to be connected in. Secondly, sin. Sin. You know, sin is missing the mark, not living out the way that God would have us live out, where we talk about victory over sin, and that's what the cross achieves for us, that uh, we no longer have to pay the penalty for our sins eternally, but the but the Reality is sin in our life and world around us affects us all the time. The effect of it in the natural is, is still there. That's the reason why pain happens. It's the reason the fallen world is how it is. And if we're allowing sin in our life to take control, to take dominion, to have habits in our life, and actually there's the sin, which Romans tells us hardening off the wages of sin or the payment for sin is, is death. There's that taking place, but it's actually hardening off our heart to walking in Christ's ways as well. Sin is huge. We've got to not downplay the reality of what sin means in our life and just think that it's all okay because of the grace of God. The grace of God forgives us of our sin and enables us to no longer live in that sin, to no longer go down that pathway. And sin can really harden our heart. Um, Matthew 24, verse 12, like I said, uh, it says, because lawless, lawlessness will be increased, speaking of the end times, um, the love of many will grow cold. First John verse, chapter 3, verse 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So we could really 
replay that Matthew 24, 12 is saying, and because of sin increasing, love grows cold. I know that's true in my life. If I allow things, habits, things to take place, sin to consume me, my heart can become very hard. Um, Sin, we need to deal with that puppy. We need to kick it out because God has already kicked it out for us. Scripture that we've got to step into that place and that will help us have a soft heart. Idols, it says in the scripture that um, they're going to be cleansed and cleaned through the sprinkling of water and the removal of idols. When we position something we shouldn't higher than it should be in our lives, it actually lowers the things that should be from being where they ought to be. I felt a little bit like Bilbo Baggins there in Lord of the Rings when he says that little speech. But what I'm saying there is when we position idols above God, above his place, above the place of how he would have us live, we can very quickly turn good things into God things that were never meant to be when we take a person, when we take a um, whatever and we place it in the position of God and it becomes an idol, it actually diminishes our, our, um, the ways that God would have us live from being active. We need to remove idols. Jonah 2 verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols. Let's be a people who don't cling to our idols. They are worthless and in the releasing of our idols, We experience the love of God, therefore can love others. And the other thing, and this isn't a conclusive list or anything, it's just some things I know in my own world that can create a hard heart, is just our experiences. Not bad, not good, just just our experiences of, of life can harden our heart. Many people here have been through things I can't even imagine. And you're experiencing pain that I can't, relate to on a personal level and the reality is life can be hard at times and it can be tough at times and in those moments when we experience a tragedy when we experience pain it can do two things it can harden our heart towards the pains of others or if we allow it it can soften our heart to be able to relate to the pain of others and bring comfort and caring to those the scripture we shared said that, uh, that um, Lord help me, it said uh, the father of compassion who brings comfort, comforts us in our troubles, therefore we can bring comfort. In our pain, we experience God's comfort, therefore we can bring comfort to others. So let's be a church, let's be a people who have soft hearts. I believe that's what God's saying to us today. It's amazing to see the example of Jesus laid out. He shows us what it is to access a life without sin, without idols, without that kind of stuff, without allowing the bad experiences of life. Jesus had lots of bad experiences. He can relate to lots of our pain. He had betrayal take place. He had physical pain take place. He lost his earthly father at an early age. He experienced what it was to be lonely. He experienced what it was to be falsely accused. Um, But we can take those things and allow it to soften our heart rather than harden our heart. Jesus wept. And God feels our pain. He's not far removed or absent, but he arrives in the midst. Jesus wept. So maybe we can be a people who would weep for the pain around us. In the last five minutes here, the second thing, and this is what I said, I wasn't going to unpack too much, but I did believe the Spirit's been speaking to many of us, and this may be a confirmation. So with 
from this part of Jesus' journey. We've learned that Jesus has wept. The second thing today is that through Christ, things that are dead can be resurrected. And maybe God is wanting to resurrect things in our lives that we have labeled dead, that we have labeled gone, that we have labeled done and dusted, and maybe he's been speaking or he's speaking to you today and saying, hey, I'm calling it out of the tomb. Come out, Lazarus. Come out. A couple thoughts on this I find fascinating. Um, in John 11, verse 25, when Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, he says to Martha, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Wow, there's too much in that for my little peanut brain to articulate in this next couple of minutes. But the interesting thing is that there's a question at the end of it. Do you believe this? Ezekiel 37, a famous passage of scripture we know about the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel finds himself brought to a place where there's not just a bone, there's bones. There's death all around him. But God asks, I'm just fascinated the question, son of man, can these bones live? I'm just fascinated that prior to dead things being resurrected in scripture, there always seems to be a question posed. Do you believe this can happen? Can this take place? Where are you at? Shortly after, and I can have the band, that'd be band come back up, that'd be awesome. Shortly after this um, scene was Lazarus has taken place after, now we're post-Palm Sunday in John 12. It says, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests, so the religious crowd, the religious mindset of the day, made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. I'd never seen this before. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. When God brings something that was dead back to life, people come and see Jesus in it. thing, But the religious mindset, and we all struggle with religious mindset, would rather kill the miracle than change their perspective. And that's what we see here. The religious mindset would rather kill Lazarus than say, hey, Jesus is the way. In our own lives, subconsciously or consciously, when God is resurrecting something in us, a mindset or a voice will come and try to kill that rather than us having to make a change. And it's something that limits the power of God from resurrecting dead things in our life. So in closing here today, I feel maybe there's some things the Holy Spirit's speaking to and moving that we have let die in our lives, that God is calling out and saying, come out of the tomb. I actually hear words that have been spoken over marriages where you've actually stated, this is dead. Today, Jesus is here to reverse that and breathe life into it. I see business, opportunities that you felt were from God and they seem to have died, they seem to have got no hope and maybe Jesus is wanting to say today, come out of the tomb, I'm not finished with that yet. So Lord, we wanna respond to you in this moment. Holy Spirit, teach us how to do that, show us how to do that. I wanna give an invitation to people today if you've never 
met Jesus Christ, um, to encounter him today, the God who weeps for you, the God who weeps with you, but also the God who leads you out of your pain and brokenness. But first I wanna pray for those who are experiencing uh, that resurrection and there's something, there's a battle in your mind that's trying to tell you, no, it's done and finished, but God is trying to speak that it's alive. I wanna pray for you. If that's you in this place and that's just confirming something this week or the last couple of weeks that God's been showing in you, um, see that the amazing thing is Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come out. But it requires Lazarus to take the step out of the tomb. And I believe we need to take a step today in declaring our faith and believing that God is a God who resurrects things. So if that is you, you have something in your life that you wanna just declare God's resurrection power into, would you just stand where you are right now? You don't have to come down the front, but just stand and, and that would be a step out. And I just see that as such a symbol of God has called, has called it back to life, but now you're stepping out of the tomb in response to the call of the resurrection power of God. And we're gonna pray. So Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for people who are just experiencing the resurrection power of God. Lord, Lord, you say that the very power that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling amongst us. So I thank you, you're resurrecting and you're bringing things back to life that men and women have called dead. I, I thank you, Lord, the power of the words that people have spoken, um, the power that others have spoken or we've spoken over our own circumstances would drop right now and the Word of God would have ultimate authority that says, that you are breathing this back to life, that you can bring dry bones back to life, you can build the flesh, you can blow hair into the lungs. And God, I thank you for resurrection power to take place in this place. I thank you people can walk out confidently today knowing that it's not just a thought, it's not just an idea, but it's the power of God that's been speaking to them saying this isn't done and we are not done with this and this will not die. This is not life too. This thing that others are saying is decaying and deteriorating and dying. We speak life to right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, come out of the tomb. And we thank you, Lord, that you're moving and reassuring people in this place. If everybody could stand as we close the service. If you haven't met Jesus in this place today, you wanna start a relationship with Him, I think today is a great day to do that. And if that's you in this place, with all eyes closed in this moment, um, just out of respect for each other, if you're a believer, if you're already following Christ, you'd be praying because this is a very significant moment. Could you just give me a wave and I'd love to be able to lead you in a prayer. If you've never started that relationship, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you started that relationship a long time ago and you've walked away and you'd like to come back. I'm just scanning my eyes across the room. Just give me a wave and I'll, the God who you can pop it down. And that's just you saying, you wanna experience Jesus, the God who weeps, and the God who is present and the God who is in relationship with us. Is there anybody in this place today? I don't wanna miss this moment. Just looking from my left across the place right now, just give me a wave. Thank you. See that hand? Making a recommitment and declaration today. Amazing. Let's just pray as we close. Lord, I thank you so much for that brave person who responded. Lord, I thank you, God, for those who are responding in their heart. God, we, um, Lord, we just invite you into our hearts, Lord. We invite you into relationship. 
God, we just acknowledge you as Lord and Savior today. I thank you that that step of faith is saying that they want to recommit their life to you, God. And you're not a God who's far, you're present. So I thank you there's no sin, there's no shame, there's no barrier, there's no obstacle anymore from experiencing your love because it was defeated on the cross. So we accept that, acknowledge that as you, as Lord and Savior today. And we thank you, God. It's a free gift given by your grace and your mercy to us alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. If you made that commitment, um, and there's a, there'll be a screen come up here, maybe you make, want to make a first-time decision for Christ, you can text that number um, that's going to come up, and you, you, we'd love to follow up with you about walking with Jesus. Church, Jesus wept. And it's an amazing thing that our God is a God who weeps. So let's be a people who go and feel the pain, we weep with others, but then we bring the light of God in. Out those doors walks people who are full of hope, full of comfort, full of resurrection life, and who aren't afraid to weep with those who are weeping. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you at five o'clock on the Zoom call. If you want prayer for anything. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.